The following podcast is a Dear Media production. This is Being Bumo, a podcast for the modern parent that wants to be the best version of themselves while being the best parents they can be for their kids. We'll be spotlighting parents and experts who are not only inspiring, but also willing to share with us how it really is. Because as we all know, parenting can be equally as rewarding as it is challenging. We're here to make your life easier, a little less stressful, and help you navigate through this complex thing called parenting. So, if I had a magic wand and I could grant any parent, including myself, something, that would be more sleep. Am I right? Yes, I am right. I think lack of sleep and being in a constant state of exhaustion has become so normal to so many of us and that we don't even think about it anymore. We just think that this is our new norm after becoming a parent, right? But honestly, it's not healthy for anyone. And especially for new parents, it usually starts with if the baby is sleeping or not. So I have two daughters, one almost seven-year-old and one three-year-old. And one has wonderful sleeping habits. I mean, she literally puts herself to sleep, nap time, everything. It It's just a dream. But then the other daughter has very challenging sleeping habits. And it obviously affects me with my sleeping habits as well, because I am also still waking up because of her sleeping habits. They are polar opposites. But there is one thing different that I did between these two girls, and that is called sleep training. I know, I know some of you guys may be rolling your eyes because you've heard about sleep training before. And quite honestly, it has somewhat of a negative reputation to some people. But hear me out, guys, because it has changed my life. I thought today's episode should be around sleep. So I thought today I'd bring on my friend Natalie Wiles, a baby sleep trainer who has helped thousands of families globally to get their sleep back and to get their baby to sleep through the night. Those are just magic to my ears. Sleep through the night. And don't worry, it's not just for newborns. It can also apply to older kids as well. She's been doing this work for over 10 years and she is the sleep whisperer. Whenever I have questions about sleep, I immediately text her or email her with all my questions. Natalie is a certified consultant, the founder of Baby Sleep Trainer, and also the author of her book, Getting Your Baby to Sleep the Baby Sleep Trainer Way. Her method is backed by scientific data and years of professional experience. With that said, here is how to get your baby slash toddler slash kid to sleep through the night. Hi, Natalie. Welcome to Being Boomo. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. I am so excited to see you. I think it's been about two years since Mm -hmm. we last saw each other. Pre-pandemic. Yes. (laughs) So Natalie, I am a huge believer in your work. Obviously, I've experienced some of your magic and just have been following you on your journey. And thousands of families are just such big believers in what you do. And honestly, you, something that's so important for new parents that is often not addressed before becoming a parent, which is sleep training. Today, we're going to talk about kind of my personal experience, your experience, and also kind of, I guess, talking about the myths that are out there, because I feel like it comes with a lot of questions for people. And a lot of new parents are sometimes unsure about it. But before we dive into it, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, baby sleep trainer, and how you got into this work of sleep training? Sure. So um, I'm Natalie Willis. I own Baby Sleep Trainer. We help families get their babies to sleep through the night and take healthy naps. And um, parents work with me one-on-one or have online resources um, to help them. Um, I started doing this work um, maybe like right around 10 years ago, like seems crazy. Um, But even though I have a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old, and it was my older child that really got me into this work, I am like it's sort of crazy, like how obsessive I still am about the subject and how much I still care about it. And every day when I sit down to talk to clients, I tell myself, I'm like, okay, 
we're about to change lives right now. So I'm really like serious about the work that I do and really love to help families with this. And I really got into it because I had children at a very young age. I feel like at least younger than like most of my peers. Uh, And I had a really challenging time with my daughter's sleep at first. And I think really it's because I had inappropriate expectations as to what it would actually be like. I thought if I just followed um, A and B that see what happened and that's not how it went. And um, I think I'm a problem solver. And this was the first experience I had that really um, taught me that. And so I just became really passionate about the subject is one word to use. My husband would say like obsessive. (laughs) And I just sort of developed a reputation. um, And like you said, I think it's a need. And I think there's a lot of voices. And frankly, like because they're it can be a really emotional um, thing for families to do. And there's a tremendous amount of misinformation, frankly, around this, that people fill that void with more misinformation. Um, and I think they prey on families and frankly, on with most of mothers, women's, um, their vulnerability at this stage to convince them that addressing this issue hurts their babies or hurts the relationship and it's not true. So anyways, I, I, I think I, there's always babies that don't sleep. So I always have families to work with. I mean, I, I'm a believer that some baby, I mean, all babies, if not, yeah, they are just born not to sleep and you just kind of have to train them. Um, but yes, I do agree with you. You are changing lives and that sounds so dramatic, but it's actually true until you've experienced no sleep. Um, before. And honestly, I think the biggest surprise to a lot of new parents, especially new moms, is that the lack of sleep that they experience because their baby is not experienced, which also leads to postpartum depression, which affects one in eight women, which is quite, I mean, I feel like the number is even higher now, but it's really, really common. And it honestly starts with the baby sleeping. And so let's let's dive into it. Like before actually we dive into it, let me share kind of my story. And I don't know if you, you have any personal stories that you want to share. But I have two children, as you know, one seven-year-old and one three-year-old. My seven-year-old, I did not sleep train. Um, I tried sleep training her way far, way too late, but it was too late by then. And we're still till this day experiencing the lack of confidence, I would say, in sleeping on her own. Whereas with my youngest daughter, who's three years old, we did sleep train her from the beginning, right when we were able to, we were able to sleep train her. And she has the healthiest sleep habits now as a three-year-old. She'll just like walk into her own room at like noon. She's like, I have to go nap. And I'm like, what? Wait, I thought I was supposed to fight you for a nap. But she's like, no, I have to nap now. And it it almost her bed is like a comfort zone for her. She's like she feels safe there and she's excited to go to bed. Whenever I have bedtime stories with her, she just has this rhythm down where she's out now with I can literally put her in bed, lights out, and within I would say about two to three minutes, she's out. Whereas my oldest, we wrestle, we wrestle with her every single night still. And so it's not just short term for parents to be able to sleep. It's also for their benefit as well, long term. So that's my little kind of experience with one not sleep trained kid and one sleep trained kid. (laughs) Yeah, it's something I want to share with families. Um, You know, I'll get people, I try to be really honest in my work and I try to you know, this is such an emotional thing for families. And last thing that a family who's in a state of desperation because their child isn't sleeping and all the effects of lack of sleep, you know, and all that brings the last thing they need is someone making them feel like bad, right? Because they badly, I should say, because they can't resolve this issue. But occasionally families will ask me, so like, what if I don't do anything? Like what, what happens? I'm like, well, a lot of children will, maybe even a majority of them will sort of around the age of three, usually when they stop napping and as they go into like preschool, later preschool into elementary, you know, they'll, these issues will resolve. They'll sleep through the night. Um, but it's kind of like a secret that a lot of families have elementary age children who either still require assistance to sleep or still wake up in the night or just have a lot of disruption. And it will vary quite a bit. But yeah, it's like, I, I have to tell them like there, it's possible that this is going to be an issue that's going to persist for your family for an indefinite period of time. And, you know, there's no shame in that. We all have our challenges. I have challenges with my kids, but it is the truth that, you know, and I, I think that parents, if they don't realize that, then they are not 
they, they would probably make different decisions if they knew, oh God, like if this is going to last indefinitely, maybe I will just bite the bullet and do this now, as opposed to thinking like, oh, this will, you know, eventually resolve itself. It doesn't always resolve itself. Yeah. And I wish this was education that someone told me and all the parents from the beginning, like, yo, like if you don't sleep train your kids or if you don't develop healthy sleeping habits in the beginning, you're probably going to have to deal with it for, for the rest of your life, basically. But, you know, I learned after my first and I feel like a lot of people have to learn it the hard way to realize that it is kind of true. Um, but I have one great sleeper and one not so great sleeper. And that's just my reality now. So let's dive into it. I want to go into first the basics of what the benefits are for sleep training. And then we'll go into kind of talking about the myths that are out there. So the first one, uh, I would wonder if I've never slept trained my baby or if I was about to, what are the benefits? What are the true benefits of sleep training your child? So I think the best way to understand this is that in my mind, I equate a child's eating habits with their sleeping habits. So the importance of a child's eating I, I would say the same about how importantly I feel their sleep is. So I would guess that a majority of our listeners are going, we're putting a tremendous amount of effort into the types of foods that they're feeding their children, right? Whether it's organic or what kind of formula or are they breastfeeding or, you know, they're really putting almost down to like, what container am I putting this food in so that it's not in a plastic container, right? The amount of energy and thought that people rightly so put into what their child is eating they should also be putting into their child's sleep because arguably like your child's sleep is as important or more important than the food that they are consuming. Okay. So if we operate under the assumption that your child's eating habits are equally important to their sleeping habits, and then you can shift their focus to being like, okay, well, that's really important then. So how do I manage these sleep habits? The reason it's so important, uh, or I think that eating and sleeping are sort of equivalent to one another is because your body cannot function at its optimum level without um, adequate periods of uninterrupted sleep. And this goes for infants all the way up to adults, really everybody. Um, and so I have had like a number of children just off the top of my head who have had say eczema, other allergies, digestive issues, even reflux resolve once sleep training uh, is, is implemented because the body simply cannot repair itself and it can't do what it needs to do in, if it's not sleeping enough. Um, the best way to understand it is like every single cell that then we have like, I don't know, probably trillions, more than trillions, every single cell has waste that it creates and like the work that it does. And it retains that waste within the cell. And essentially when you sleep during certain periods of your sleep, it's almost as if a garbage truck pulls up to every cell, the cell opens, it ejects the waste, the garbage truck picks it up and then it flushes it out. If you're not sleeping for long periods of time, the cells become full of the toxin and then eventually they will break open. And depending on which cell it is and what its job is, you'll suddenly have these wild things happen to your body. You're like, why can't I remember anything? Or why can't, why am I having this allergy? Why can't I digest this? If we're thinking about postpartum mood disorder specifically, which you are right, like, I mean, is there, there is very few women <laughs> that are not experiencing some form of anxiety or depression, right? You, the, you, unfortunately, it is nearly impossible to resolve postpartum mood disorders without a parent, without the woman, the patient being able, I should say the parent being able to sleep for uninterrupted periods overnight. And that's like a really big thing to tell someone like you are struggling with postpartum depression. You have to get your child sleep in order so you can get your sleep in order because no amount of therapy. And this, I, what I would say right now is coming out of my mouth. You should confirm with your own doctor. But as far as I understand it, like no amount of therapy or medication can resolve this issue without sleep because it is such an important thing for your brain. And finally, I'm just not to like beat this horse completely to death, but your child is only able to form memory, learn and grow during their deepest levels of sleep. So they test consistently test children and their ability to learn words, um, language, all the things that they need to do. They just simply cannot do it as efficiently if they're not sleeping properly. So it's, it has tremendous neurological benefits as well, because their brain is maximizing and working for them while literally there is not one singular aspect of a person's body that is that can work at its optimum without adequate sleep it is my favorite time of the year it's fall which means back to school but i know this school year will be filled with transitions whether your kids are going back to school 
or logging into a classroom from home. And as parents, it can be time consuming to give your kids the extra help that they might need this school year. Well, here's a bit of help for you. Hands-on science and art projects that you get delivered to your door. I was even surprised how much I love this as an adult. So you guys have heard me talk about KiwiCo before because I am obsessed with the projects and the most recent ones I've done with my three-year-old daughter, Colette, and it was all about space. It was a space-themed koala crate. We made a sensory box full of felt shapes like rockets and stars and learned about space through tactile play. There are some paint involved, which she loves. She loves art. Then you decorated your crate with planet stickers and then you painted it yourself. I mean, the project was so much fun for her. It was super easy. And I love that it was an easy enough project for a three-year-old to do but also very creative in a sense that it's not your typical kind of painting project. It was definitely different than what she was used to. And with a little bit of guidance, Colette was able to finish her project. She was so excited. We've done so many crates with my oldest daughter, Chloe, but this was Colette's first crate and she loved it so, so much. It was also her first time learning about the solar system. And now she keeps pointing to any objects in the sky, asking if it's Mars. I just ordered her the baking and fractions project and the mini cake decorating one because it's her birthday and she's just so excited about that one. Your child can get super cool, hands-on science, art, and geography projects delivered to their door every month. They'll be so excited to see these arrive in the mail. You'll be so surprised at how high quality the materials are too. These are real engineering, science, and art projects for your children. You can now cultivate your child's natural creativity and curiosity with new hands-on projects every month. And look, I know it's hard sometimes to find creative ways to keep your children busy and challenged, but KiwiCo does the legwork for you so you can spend quality time tackling the projects together. There's something for kids of all ages. Everything is shipped right to your door and there's no commitment so you can pause or cancel at any time. KiwiCo is redefining learning with hands-on projects that build confidence, creativity, and critical thinking skills. There is something for every kid or kid at heart at KiwiCo. Get 50% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line with code BUMO at KiwiCo.com. That's 50% off your first month at K-I-W-I-C-O.com, promo code BUMO. I mean, I just remember as a teenager, which is kind of off topic, but you know, like pulling all-nighters and being able to like stay up late and like how damaging that actually was when, you know, we thought we were being cool because we're staying up until like 5 or 6 a.m. and having to like go to school the next morning. Um, But obvious, you know, for me now as an adult, as a 36-year-old adult, if I sleep any like past 11 p.m., my body immediately feels it. And I kind of ask myself, gosh, like I wonder... I. Like, I wonder how my body was reacting during those periods when I just gave birth. Because if I'm exhausted now, like, I must have been super exhausted then because I just gave birth. And I, but I was on such adrenaline mode as most most moms are adrenaline mode and also just like hyper awareness. Like, they can't fully like relax because there's so much pressure around them, new pressure. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, sleep is so, so important. And I went through postpartum depression with my first, not with my second, with my first only. And I can't say it's fully linked to sleep deprivation, but I think a big part of it was sleep deprivation and the hormones and all of that. Yeah. Um, so when can you start sleep training? At what age is it safe to start sleep training? So once again, this is going to vary tremendously depending on the expert that you're speaking to. I'll just say that I've worked thousands upon thousands of families one-on-one. Thousands more have gone through my online resources. So I'm speaking from a place of a lot of personal experience and then a lot of, you know, reading and understanding of the science behind sleep, but always confirm with your, you know, your own doctor, because children will vary a lot on their needs, depending on other things that are happening, right? So if a child is underweight, they may need to eat longer overnight than a child who isn't. Um, oh, another thing, if families conflate sleep training with this idea that they have to cut overnight feedings, one has like pretty much nothing to do with the other. If a child needs to eat twice overnight, because that's what they need, they can totally be sleep trained and eat twice overnight. Um, so it's no necessity to cut overnight feedings. Um, I generally tell families, uh, data shows that around the 15th week of life counting from due date, 
the child's melatonin output regulates and they begin to have more adult-like sleep patterns. So essentially newborns call it from like birth all the way through the 16th week um, or somewhere around the 16th week, they're going to spend their time in either 50% of their sleep time in REM or non-REM sleep. It's erratic. If they sleep an hour, it's not that the first 30 minutes are deep and the last 30 minutes are light. It can switch back and forth. So it's very, very, very erratic. The first four months are really about survival and healing of the family and that sort of thing, healing of the, the person who gave birth and then the um, establishing all of those relationships, right? And managing those things. I would say anytime a family feels ready that their pediatrician approves 16 weeks of age or older is a, I would say, a good time for a child to learn the skill of falling asleep independently. The term sleep training actually is kind of a misnomer and there's a lot that's associated with that term. And so I, it's, um, I prefer to use the term teaching a child to fall asleep independently, because that's really what sleep training is. If a child can go down flat on their back, completely awake in a room, dark room with loud white noise, and they can go from that state to being asleep independently for naps and bedtime consistently. When they wake up overnight, as is normal to wake up overnight, they will access that skill set to put themselves back to sleep. If they need a feeding, they'll have a feeding and they'll go back to sleep. So instead of thinking of sleep training as like this giant sort of emotional thing, it's really just like a, a learned skill of independent sleep. And I would say 16 weeks of age or older, given like what's happening with the child's biology is a good time to consider doing it. You don't have to do it at 16 weeks. I would say that if you are have a four month old and yeah, it's not like they're not sleeping great, but like you feel okay and you can manage, there really shouldn't, you shouldn't feel any pressure to do it at 16 weeks. I would say five, six, seven months all the way through. You're going to be able to do it relatively the same all the way through the child being able to climb out of their crib. Um, and so like if they're 15 months old, but they can't climb out of their crib, it's still pretty much the same procedure to train them as if they were four months old. I like that you call it independent sleep because I feel like there's a lot of sometimes negative association with sleep training. And, you know, a lot of people are like, well, that's the cry it out method, right? Like, so you're just essentially letting your baby cry. Like, how can you do that? I mean, I've heard that a lot before, and so the ultimate goal is for them to sleep independently. And it, it just sounds a bit more like you're teaching them skills that they're going to learn like lifelong, right? And you teach them right when they're able to at as early as four months old. I started sleep training at five months. And so it was right around that time. And I have to say the first two, three days is not pleasant because I'm just like not used to it. I just like want to hop in the room. But I was so surprised how quickly they're actually able to adapt. And it's more emotional for the parent than the actual child. Do you see that being pretty common? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's almost never as bad as parents think it is going to be. And it is almost always easier than whatever it is that the parent has been enduring by the time they get to me. So, you know, when parents get like really like anxious, which is understandable and expected, I am like, you know, they're probably going to sleep better. You know, you honestly like using my method, not all methods are the same, different methods focus on different things. So I can only speak to how I teach families to get their babies to sleep. But I tell them, you know, your baby's probably going to sleep better like the first night than they already do when you come to me. So it's usually just really pretty rapid it's not a pleasant experience, of course, um, for a lot of families, but um, it's pretty, I would say, pretty rapid in the grand scheme of things. I, I don't know if you're the one who told me this, but someone told me this. I think you are actually the one. When a baby cries, it releases like some sort of hormone in the adult, which is the same hormone as like being attacked or something like yeah. that. Did you yeah, tell me that? It's specifically been studied um, in uh, the person who gives birth to the child. Um, I, I would argue that I've seen the same reaction rarely, but I have seen it in other caretakers. And you know how we can be biologically, like there can be a lot of transference, honestly, with caretakers, but um, for mothers specifically, the, so let's, if we could just take a step back for a second the in the human baby is like pretty much one of the like most helpless mammals of like all of the mammals in the world, not just at birth, but like for a lot longer periods, they take a really long time to develop and become like independent in all sorts of different ways. And so, I mean, if you really just sit here and think about like millions of years of evolution and humanity, these babies, me and baby, like we have developed this thing back and forth to like keep us both alive. And so when that baby cries, 
there is a theory that it triggers So this is not a theoretical and triggers the fear response in the mother's brain. And so it's the same the thing that's triggered if you hear um, like a smoke alarm. Those are at a very particular pitch to like be like, oh my God, wrong. So that's what's happening. So you're instantly having like you're sweating and your heart's beating and you, this is like, I mean, it is, we all, if our mother we've experienced it, it is all consuming, right? So that's intentional. And the theory might be that if you're in a cave with a baby and that baby starts screaming and there's predators, that your mind is going to be like, this needs to stop. This, this crying has to stop right now. I will do anything to make this stop right now. Right. And so then, but in our world today, like that baby might be like, Hey, I don't know how to do this by myself. I'm really irritated. And they're screaming. And, but you're still having that same, like, Oh my God, Oh my God response. And so it totally clouds, you know, your ability to be logical. And so that's why a support system and like a plan and like, there's all of these steps involved in being successful in this process, why they're so important. Yeah. I mean, I remember when you tell, when you told me that I was like, yes, it is that same feeling of when hearing a baby cry, you just, you're just like, I'm going to drop everything and I'm going to save this baby. Right. And that's just like the natural motherly instinct that we go into mama bear mode. Right. But sometimes that could interfere with them growing in a positive way. Right. Mm -hmm. And you just have, and the hardest thing about parenting is letting them kind of learn, right? Allowing them to go through the motions so they could learn. I'm still learning this as my ch- my children are a little older now, but there are certain things where I'm like, oh no, I don't want them to experience that. I don't want ex- I don't want them to experience heartbreak from a boy eventually. I don't want them to, ex- but they have to, they're eventually going to have to. And same thing with sleep training. It's like, we're literally training them in the beginning to know that it's okay. Right. And they will adapt to it. And Babies and kids are so resilient. That's what I've learned from my youngest yeah. daughter. Yeah, so. I mean, I have a 13-year-old daughter. Um, and um I like would say that parenting in general is very non-intuitive. I had this thought of this like moment of frustration while I was dealing with something with my daughter and her emotions and how she's navigating the world, that it is like absolutely it is ludicrous to me that there is a one eight hundred number I can call if my animal or if my child eat something poisonous, but there's no one 800 number. If I'm like, she's waking out and I, I'm not sure. And I'm trying to manage this and there's no directions. And I find like, I, I think my children by all means, like by all measures are like pretty successful kids, but in the moment when you're parenting, so, so often doing the right thing that's going to help your child be successful feels totally wrong. And so if we can just admit that, like, it isn't intuitive, then and either you're going to make mistakes or sometimes doing the right thing is unpleasant for all parties involved just because it feels bad doesn't mean it's wrong. And so if we're only operating based on how we feel and we're not having success, then it's okay to be like, maybe I'm, maybe I'm like, maybe I should be using something other than my emotions to navigate the situation. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. So walk us through a general kind of without giving too much of your program away, because obviously if people are interested, they could, uh, find out more about it on with your online service as well, which you have, or your online training program. But walk us through kind of generally what this the training method. Yeah, well, and I'll say like, of course, if anybody wants to use my resources, that's great. But I really do want families. This is something that's important for me to democratize for all people because I think it's really important. So. If you want to sleep train your child, if you need to address this issue, you need to create a plan that starts with figuring out how you are going to keep them awake during their bedtime routine. Disassociating eating and sleeping is important. How you are going to deal with the crying that is going to occur when you put them down. So this is where different methods will talk about different check-ins, whatever, depending whatever method you're using. Assuming then like basically commit to sticking with what you're doing until the child falls asleep, regardless of how long it takes them. If your child's taking a really long time to fall asleep, that's a pretty good indicator that you're not using a good method. (laughs) Um, And then they're going to wake up overnight. How are you going to deal with those wake-ups? What have you discussed with your pediatrician as far as how many feeds? Do they need feeds? How are you going to feed them? In what environment? Lights on, lights off, right? These are all questions that you have to have answered before you start. Um, How, if you're not feeding them or it's not whatever, like how are you going to deal with this inevitable crying? What kind of chest? How often? What are you doing? And then you're going to go, what I would suggest is to be prepared to go right into nap training the next day. If there's one thing that I I would say I'm pretty publicly about, there's probably a few, but like I'm pretty public about disagreeing with other sleep experts about this one thing. It's separating nighttime and daytime training. I think that's really inhumane for the child. I think it's far more emotionally palatable for the parent, but I think it's less humane for the child. So you should be prepared that very next day 
how, okay, well, how, how are you going to keep them awake while they eat? How are you going to put them down for their nap? How long are you going to wait to see if they fall asleep? If they do, great. If they don't, when do you try again? The reason that it's so important to have a plan, honestly, whether you like go to online and you get all these different methods and then you write out your own plan that covers all these things, or you work with a coach or you, there's so like, honestly, there's so many resources and so many courses, but the reason that it's important to have one is because like there, there are so many questions that come up all of the time. And I could, I sit there, I literally have a course where I speak for 45 minutes straight about everything and every single detail that writes it out. And people still understandably have questions, right? Because your own situation is going to prompt questions. So know that just having a plan is not always enough because you, in order to be successful, you generally want to have at least the option to talk to someone who knows what they're doing to answer your questions. Yeah, that's really good to address. I mean, I... As you're speaking about this, I'm just like, one, I'm very happy that I'm not in that phase of parenting anymore. <laughs> it's such a blur. But two, I do remember looking in the monitor like all throughout the night and trying to analyze what what she's crying for and if the cry is like a cry for help or is it a cry because she's just trying to get attention but she's going to go back to sleep right away and I remember just like analyze trying to analyze it and being so frustrated and not knowing what to do and you are absolutely right like parents will will like think of the craziest like funniest excuses being like oh no she I know she needs she needs like I forgot to feed her like her favorite I don't know or I forgot to feed her milk I need to go one in, ounce you know, less or, than she normally does. She one be hungry, ounce, even yeah. though this is 45 minutes up. Yeah, parents are understandably looking for reasons to interact with their child, all based on the that biological drive that we talked about for sure. It's, it's understandable. But how much should a baby be? How many hours should a baby be getting every single night? Yeah. So I want, this is a question I get all the time and I do have an answer for it. But before I share it, I want parents to know that First off, like if your child is not yet an independent sleeper, they do not know how to fall asleep independently for naps and bedtime. Their total overall sleep is kind of irrelevant because the bigger problem is that whatever they are, or if they're having struggles with their sleep, it's because they don't know how to fall asleep independently. It's not like they're not capable of sleeping well, right? So whatever I say, if your child isn't an independent sleeper, that's what you need to address. Let's say that a child is has worked, I've worked with that child, right? And they are anywhere from four months on newborns. That's like its own world. If you just need to do your best and like there are resources for that as well, but I'm going to focus mainly on older children from the age of four months, all the way through to honestly, like my kids in fourth grade, my son's 10 years old, he's in fourth grade. And he still is within these minimums. I would say between 10 and 12 hours overnight for pretty much all the way until they go to adolescence is normal. And during the day from four months um, until they're done napping, which is let's call it around three plus or minus, they should they can be napping as little as 90 minutes and as many as three hours and it's normal. So you can have a three-year-old who naps three hours a day and sleeps 12 hours a night and that's normal. And you can have a four-month-old that really rarely sleeps more than 10 to 10 and a half hours overnight and rarely naps more than let's say two hours during the day. That's normal. So there's a lot that's considered normal. And I would encourage parents to not even like go there and just focus on like, does my child have independent sleeping habits? Yes. Then I can trust that their body is getting the sleep that they need. And it will vary depending on all sorts of factors. So if your child is growing or going through a developmental leap on and on all the way into school, you might find that you're like, why are they sleeping so much? Because if they know how to sleep independently, then their body's like, okay, I need more sleep. And they just will sleep more. And then sometimes other stuff's going on and they sleep less. And you can take the stress off of yourself that like they're not sleeping enough if they are independent sleepers, because it's not your responsibility anymore. That's their body's responsibility. Yeah. I mean, that, that really shows with my youngest because she will take three hour naps, sometimes three and a half hour naps, which is pretty insane because she's three or she just turned three. And during the evening, she'll, or like throughout the night, she'll get like 12 hours of sleep. And I'm like, that's a lot of sleep, girlfriend. Aren't you like tired of sleeping? Honestly, here's the thing. Like, I really, really think that because so much of our data around this and like the studies that we do, just because I read a lot of this stuff, you know, it's, it's like you really have to be studying children who are independent sleepers versus children who are non-independent because the ones who are independent sleepers are likely to, in many cases, sleep more. So they are skewing the non-independent sleepers. They're like skewing each other's results because 
it, I, I, one of my kids was the same way, like 12 plus hours. I mean, one of my, the, one of the women that works on my team, her child kept two naps during the day and slept 12 hours overnight until they were 20 months old. And, you know, so it's like, you don't like a lot of sleep can be very normal, but we're so not used to encountering that information because most children are not independent sleepers or, or this is a priority or focus for families. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about little older kids then. So let's say that you pass kind of that mark of being able to sleep train. First of all, what age is that around where it becomes a little bit more challenging? Yeah. So I'll tell, I'll be really, really honest here as I am with everything else. If a family contacts me any age under two and a half years old, okay. But their child can climb out of a crib and will not work with them. And I tell them that their job is to get their child to sleep in whatever way is like safe and gets everyone as much sleep as possible and to come back when they're two and a half. Because if the child is not able to be restrained by a crib and they are not yet two and a half, in my extensive experience, I have not come across a way to safely or non-crudely, I guess, teach a child to fall asleep independently. Frankly, you can put them in a room, let's say a 20 month old can climb out of their crib. You could put a mattress on the floor, completely empty your room, lock everything, make it totally childproof literally like put that child on the mattress and like run out of the room and shut the door behind you and not open it for 12 hours, assuming they're safe. And like, I guess you're sleep training them, but that's like nothing I want anything to do with. And it's really crude. And there's a lot that there's a lot with that, right? Like that feels wrong, frankly, on like a lot of levels to a lot of people. So I want nothing to do with that. And I don't blame families for not wanting to do it, but there is no magic third option. Like you, like either you do that, which I don't encourage people to do, but like in theory, that's what you would do, or you co-sleep or whatever your child wants, or you wait. There is generally not a way to um, improve a child's sleep habits uh, in that age range. I have people that I don't consider colleagues, but other people that are sleep coaches who will encourage families to do things that are very unsafe, right? Use items like to block their child in the crib that are illegal to be sold in this country because they have odd deaths. They're all trying to restrain the kid in the crib. So I'm just here to tell you, if your kid's not two and a half and they can climb out, you need to wait it out until they're two and a half. Once they're two and a half or older, then you would need to find resources, honestly, whether it's baby sleep trainer or somebody else to give you a really regimented um, like behavioral modification plan not surprisingly, this can actually be harder for parents to do than when they're infants. Because when they're infants, even though the crime is really bad, when they're two and a half, you're like talking to them and you have to have consequences and the door might close. And like, then they're really pissed and they're like screaming and they're saying, but with older children, I actually love working with toddlers two and a half or older because their results are super fast. Like usually I can get them sleeping within, if the parents listen to me, I can usually get the issues resolved within like a couple of days. With infants, it can often take weeks where like, and especially if they're really young, you know, they're working through things. And so, um, you get results faster with older kids, but it requires like a lot of discipline on the parents part. And frankly, a lot of people aren't that disciplined. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I have to share a story here as well, because I remember just being desperate with my first, because by the time she was about three years old, she was still not sleeping. I was so exhausted. And then I heard a friend um, about pretty much not sleep training them, but like pretty much just letting them like sleep on their own, but putting them in their room and just letting them figure it out. And for me, that's still one of my biggest regrets um, of, of parenting, honestly. And I don't have any regrets because their dad and I, we were just like, whatever it takes to get this girl to sleep. And, you know, we're a new parent and we didn't really know that many people around us. So we're just like, let's just test it out. Let's see, you know, if this works. And gosh, like at that age, it it really affects them, their behavior. It really affects them in different ways when they're, you know, they're scared. Right. And so it's still, I still see it in her behaviors um, because, she is so scared of the dark. She's so scared to be in her own room by herself. Um, we didn't do it for more than like a week because it was just too much for us and too much for her. But it 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 did take some effect on her because still to this day, she is scared to be alone in the room, um, alone in the dark. And I I I mean, I might be harder on myself as a lot of parents are, but I feel like a lot of it had to do with that. And it's something that I wish I could go back sometimes, be like, oh, I wish I, you know, I I didn't 
one, wait for that long to sleep train, but also to um, that I was just able to comfort her during the times that she needed me um, because she was a little too old by that time. Um, but now it's been a lot better. She's seven now. She still will have moments where she wakes up in the middle of the night, very rarely because she's at school now and she's just exhausted. But we got her sister and her a bunk bed because they've been asking for you a bunk bed. And I'm like, look, girl, if I get you a bunk bed, I am not sleeping with you anymore because I was co-sleeping with her up until we got that bunk bed, um, which was just last year. And so I was like, I'm not sleeping with you anymore if you really want a bunk bed. And it took her a moment to like be like, uh... Yeah, I still want it. And when, once we got it, you know, she still asked if I could sleep with her. I was like, I'm going to break the bed if I sleep with you. Up, and we're going to crush your sister below. I cannot sleep Brilliant, Priscilla. That's great. And, that really- and yeah, I know. I mean, definitely I'm I'm not cut out to become a trainer in this, in this arena, but it worked for me. And she's, and you know, still to this day, she'll still ask me every night, like, can you sleep with me? And I will go through that whole kind of process. Um, we gave her a unicorn nightlight. So the light is on and then I come back and turn it off. Um, but I just want to share that story for, because we have a lot of new parents on here and a lot of parents that have been in it for a while. And there's a lot of guilt around this topic of sleep and I still have it. But at the end, in the end, like they all turn out okay, no matter what you choose to do. Um, and, you know, it's, we all, we all do things that, you know, sometimes we, we, aren't aware of at the time. So yeah, I mean, like parenting is really hard. Motherhood, frankly, in this country, in the US is really, really hard. We are unsupported. Largely, it is a it is just a this job is what is this job is all I'm saying. It's a really hard job. It's hard at every age and every stage. Everybody, I would say for the overwhelming majority of women that I know and parents that I know, we are doing our best. And I speak to mothers because I think this biology that we're talking about is what's bringing the guilt and the shame. And so that's why I wanted to just touch on that. But at the end of the day, like that helps no one, like the guilt and the don't you, if you are doing the best that you can for your baby, then that's, that's what matters. So don't stress. It's okay. If it's not perfect, it's okay. If you're, you know, if what I'm talking about does not resonate with you, fine. That's okay. Don't worry. Like you, everything is going to be okay. If you love your baby and you try your best. So just if something feels like it's stressing you out, then just put it away and, you know, no stress on, on these things. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Let's talk about, we don't have that much time here, but let's talk about a few of the myths of sleep training. I'm just going to kind of blurt out some of these myths that I have heard and you could kind of give me your thoughts and answers around that. So the first one is sleep training is harmful for my baby. I mean, it has been studied very extensively and as much as people who are against sleep training want there to be evidence that it's harmful. It is not harmful. There is no evidence or data to support that. Anybody who tells you differently is lying to you and intentionally misinterpreting studies and data. And I would also say, like, if you just ask around to your peers, if they've sleep trained their kids and they are committed to it and they've been successful, you're going to see that those kids are largely healthier and happier, or at least as well secured as children who, um, who, you know, whose parents choose not to sleep train them. So you do not need to worry. Also, Ask your doctor, say, is there any evidence? Can you please show me any evidence or data or studies that shows that sleep training is harmful to babies? And I feel like they're also more confident. Like kids that are sleep trained, they're just, they seem to be a little bit more confident. I mean, again, just purely based off of my own two kids, but it seems like because they're like, yeah, I, I got this. Like the, I don't have any fear around this. They They kind of walk around with that attitude throughout the day as well. And they have like great, you know, when, when you have a good sleeping child, they're just in a better mood throughout the day. So, and I would say like one, it's totally anecdotal, purely anecdotal, but I swear kids who are sleep trained get sick less, especially as they get into school because they're not like their bodies, like not as run down. And so their immune system is stronger. So they tend to write things off and not get as ill. My peers who do not sleep train their children often have like repeated like illnesses, illnesses, illnesses. And I think it might be, it wouldn't surprise me if it was due to the lack of sleep. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. Next is sleep training is only beneficial for parents. Uh, I mean, no, because if your child needs more sleep than you do, and in some ways they need sleep more than you do. So however exhausted you feel, I can 
I am, I'm guaranteeing you that your child feels as or more exhausted and is suffering the same or more detrimental effects. So everything you need to, your body needs to do, the reason you feel like such garbage if you're not sleeping, right? For all the reasons we've talked about earlier, your child's body needs to do all those things as well. It needs to digest food and do all the stuff with its energy. But it's also growing and learning. And until they're like 22 years old, they're experiencing, still experiencing new things that their brain is trying to process every single day. And that's rapid in the infancy and toddler stage. So they need that sleep. So no, <laughs> good, excellent sleep habits are you know beneficial for adults and children. Absolutely agree with that. Okay. Sleep training is just a nice way of saying cry it out method. I mean, I'll be the first person to tell anybody that asks me that all forms of sleep training are cried out. And, and if people are telling you using a different term, it's because they're trying to like either be more exact in their phrasing or often they're being euphemistic. Um, I think cry it out is a term that um, has a lot of different meanings. I think people conflate the term cry it out with extinction. Extinction is when you walk into a room, put a child in a crib and walk out and don't return for any reason for 12 hours. That's extinction. Cry it out is I have, you know, let's whatever, I'm using the baby sleep training method or fervor or whatever else I'm doing this thing. And I'm putting my child down. I have this plan I'm following and like I can interact with them at these points. And, but what I'm, what I'm not doing is I'm not setting an arbitrary limit on how long they get to figure out how to go from being awake to being asleep, whether that's 10 minutes or 30 or 50 or 70 or whatever it is. So in that way, all forms of sleep training are cried out because in order to be effective, you cannot set arbitrary limits on how long a child gets to figure out how to fall asleep independently. I love that. I mean, it's just what it is and just taking the, I, I just feel like there's a lot of negative connotation with the word cry. So people just naturally think, oh, it's not a good thing to let a baby cry when in fact, that's not true. Yeah, it doesn't harm them. Later bedtime means later wake up. No, I wish. Um, I like, know, me too. I wish. Early morning waking is the single most common um, struggle that my families, uh, families in general uh, face. Um, sleep between the hours. So let's talk about like infants and maybe even toddlers, but mostly infants. From 4 to 7 a.m., there's very low melatonin in the body. And melatonin, the hormone itself, acts as like a muscle relaxer. It makes us drowsy, right? Um, and then, so there's very low amounts of melatonin after 4 or 5 a.m. And then there's very high amounts of um, REM sleep, which is where we dream. And dream is a very light stage of sleep. People don't realize that. They think they're deeply asleep, but you're very barely asleep or unconscious. So children just tend to wake up more easily after 4 a.m., regardless of their bedtime. And unfortunately, it's all regulated by the sun. And it doesn't matter how little sun you get. Like, it's just the body is sleep is super, super biological. So whether you push your bedtime later, like it's not it, I think even though I'm like speaking out of both sides of my mouth, depending on your child's schedule and their age, like if your kid's going to sleep at six, they probably should be going to sleep closer to seven if you're having an issue with them waking up at 4 a.m. So a lot of the times I am pushing people to have a later bedtime, but you're usually not going to get a whole lot of return on investment with a bedtime that's later than call it 7.30 or 8. They're usually still going to wake up. The older a child gets, the more that their bedtime affects when they wake up in the morning. Um, but usually parents are asking me this question pre-elementary school age, because by the time they go to elementary school, they're getting up at seven o'clock anyway, right? Because they have to go to school in the morning. So, oh my gosh, that's been the biggest change for me because my oldest is in elementary school now and just be at school by 7.30, which means that we're up by 6.15. And man, is that painful because it's funny that even though I put them to bed earlier, they still can sleep longer, right? So which shows you just because you're putting them down earlier doesn't mean that they're going to wake up earlier. And same thing with like putting them later, they're going to wake up later. It's just like their body is going to wake up at like that state that they are naturally used to. Right. Yeah. And so it's been a little painful, but yeah, we had to shift everything up earlier for them to get like that solid 10 to 12 hours of sleep, which has been hard in the summer. I mean, it's, I guess, fall now, but it's still bright outside. And you're, they're like, why, why are we getting ready for bed? The sun's fully out, you know? Right. No, I know. But, change. Yeah, totally. Okay. So that is, that is all for, I, I feel like those are the top kind of myths that a lot of people ask me when I tell them that I sleep train my kids. Um, so thank you for debunking them and sharing them. I would love for people to learn a little bit more about where, like your resource, because the fact is that you hear a lot of people talking about, oh, well, I hired a sleep trainer. I hired, 
this night nurse, they're very expensive, right? And, you know, I, I think if you are able to afford it, they're absolutely worth the penny because it allows you as the mother, the new mom to rest. But, you know, in reality, they are very expensive and not everyone can afford them. And that is why I love the service that you have. I know that you have the one-on-one, but you also have something that is for everyone. Can you share with us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So after I did my one-on-one thousands of times and almost fell asleep in the middle of a consultation that I was doing remotely, I was like, I need to put this out in a way that like, I don't need to say this over and over again. And I, so we made our online courses. We were some of actually like, as far as I'm aware, like the second to market, I think with an online course. Um, and so we did it before everyone else was doing it. And all that is to say is that, you know, like Baby Sleep Trainer in particular, like we have reviews all over the internet. Like anywhere there was a play, I found Baby Sleep Trainer on Reddit the other day. I was like, oh, I didn't know we were on here, you know? So, um, but yeah, our res- or we have our online courses. We have with support, without support. And I really mean it. Like my goal is to make this something that is accessible to everyone. And, you know, I know there are families that even at the price points that my courses are, will think that they're too expensive. Um, but really it's, we we really consistently study the market to make sure that we are at a price point that we feel you know is going to be affordable to as many families as possible. Um, and our workforces like they work, you know, the method works. I don't know what else to tell you. I'm I'm here to get my goal is to get babies to fall asleep as quickly as possible with the least amount of tears possible. And I know it's a counterintuitive process, but um, I've got my face all over it. I mean, I'm here. It's I'm I'm telling you, it's me, right? Like it's not somebody else telling you to do it. So you you know where to find me. So we're all over the internet at Baby Sleep Trainer. You can find website, Instagram, um, all over the place. So at Baby Sleep Trainer on Instagram and dot com, right? Okay, amazing. So just to close it off, if there's one advice that you could give a very exhausted parent wants to start but not sure with sleep training, what would that advice be? I would say find a resource that you feel comfortable with, whatever the courses or whatever you're going to take and set aside time to do it and tell yourself that you, as long as your doctor is on board, talk to them first, because they're going to actually give you a lot of confidence. Uh, Commit to sticking to it for 14 straight days and following the course exactly as it's outlined. And it is almost certainly at the end of that two weeks, your life will be different and your problem will be solved. And people often will start without a resource. So like do your research, pick a resource, stick with it and do exactly what they say for two weeks. And you will probably be very successful. 14 days. I mean, 14 days for great sleep for the rest of your life. I think it's worth it. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Natalie, for coming on. Um, I will be leaving all the links, all of your links down below for anyone that is interested in checking out Natalie and Baby Sleep Trainer. Uh, you know, they have changed some people's lives and I highly encourage you guys to do so. Thank you, Natalie, for coming on and I hope to see you soon. I will be here. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye. Bye. Hope you guys enjoyed today's episode and it would mean the world to me if you took a second to rate, review, and follow. It really is the best way to support the show and don't forget to head over to our Instagram for more parenting tips and inspiration at Bumo Parent. And if you guys are looking for high quality virtual education for your little ones ages one through seven years old, make sure to check out at Bumo Brain on Instagram or go to www.bumobrain.com. We have a wide range of topics that your little ones will surely get so excited about from Dr. Kid to Chef Math to our foreign language program. We have all sorts of languages. Forbes called Bumo Brain the classroom of the future and it really is the best platform for early learners. Go to www.bumobrain.com to learn more.